and welcome to From Maiden to Mother, a space to dive deeper into topics related to the journey from maidenhood through motherhood and beyond. My name's Kelsey, I'm your host. Today we are chatting with Kendricks about their experience going through infertility and pregnancy loss, dealing with autoimmune diseases, allergies, and other disorders. Their journey is incredibly interesting and I am so grateful that they were here to open up to me about it. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. This is Kelsey. We're here with Kendricks. It is so nice to meet you. I am really looking forward to hearing all about your journey. I'm really excited to be here. I've been a follower for a very long time and I've been an advocate for just speaking up about your story, whether it's about miscarriage, stillbirth, ectopic, whatever it is. I think that it's important that we have these spaces to be able to have these conversations and feel empowered to know that we're not alone. Yes, I love that. That is exactly why I wanted to start this space so that people could feel like they have the time and the space to say everything they want to say. Yeah. And if I stumble my words, I do apologize. These are hard topics. So, uh, just bear with me. <laughs> this is hard. So if at any point you feel like you need a break, you just let me know too. Of course. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Oh, this is always one of the hardest questions and I feel like I'm in an interview, but uh, my name is Kendricks. My pronouns are they, them. Uh, I am a 32 year old non-binary individual living in Ontario. Uh, I am the chief marketing officer at a nonprofit focused on um, creating economic equality in the games industry. So like the video game space, which is really fun. Um, so my, my work life, I am a huge advocate for um, equality and diversity. And in my spare time, I'm a huge advocate for the same thing in whatever space I'm participating in. So um, that's like a little bit about me. You can normally find me playing video games, doing some nerdy hobbies with my husband. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. That's incredible. Thank you. Are you on a journey to motherhood, whatever that may look like for you? Yeah, I started in 2018, um, but I was pregnant for the first time. Uh, and it was pretty shocking. I was pretty excited. I hadn't really considered being a mom at that point. It was more just kind of like, oh, eventually when I'm stable in a career and I'm healthy and I'm fit and I have all the boxes, I will start the journey uh, to be a mother. And then all of a sudden it was, no, it's now. Um, and I went through two miscarriages back to back in 2018 and then 2019. Uh, and they were really rough on me. And then I kind of took a break because um, I needed one emotionally to, to be able to just decompress and work through the traumas that I had been through both with the medical, like medical care and both just like emotionally and physically. Um, and then earlier this year, um, I was, I got pregnant again and I was really excited because I kind of felt like I was in the right place. I had some doctors in place and I had my autoimmune diseases under control. And so I was really excited and I felt like, you know, like it wasn't in January, which I'll tell you about that story later on, but it wasn't in a January and it was in a different month. And I was so excited. And then I basically found out that I was, I knew I was having miscarriage before the doctors did. Um, and so by that point I went back to my fertility doctor and I said, I think we need to do more investigations. And so now I'm back on the, I guess the medicated path of trying to be, um, become a mother, uh, which is a different side that I've been on in the past. Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. 
that's a lot of grief to go through. It it is, and I think that was the hardest part. Was it what? It's not just like the physical toll that it takes on you because the first one that I had was a missed miscarriage, and there was a lot of medical trauma associated with it because the drugs weren't working. I had to eventually go in for a DNC, um, but all of these things kind of compounded, and I couldn't really move through anything because not only was I emotionally trying to move through it, I was also physically trying to move through it. Um, and then when the second one came, I fell pregnant a year after exactly. So January of 2018, I was pregnant. And then January of 2019, I fell pregnant. And it was like my due dates were two days apart. And so I had already had this one loss. And then when I had the second loss, I had these two losses back to back in January. Um, and so it can be really hard to still move through the roof because October, I know, I'm sure you're aware is um, pregnancy aware uh, loss awareness month. Um, so October is a pretty big month for those of us in the community, but it's also a pretty hard month because that's when I lost. That's when my due date was for two of my children. Oh, and my heart goes out to you. I, I unfortunately know what it's like to lose a pregnancy and adding on medical trauma to that, it, it physically changes you. Like now, every time I go to a doctor's office, or I have to go into the hospital or the imaging centers. I, I've got muscle memory now. From yeah, I was, I was going through some of my, so I, I remember I wrote the, not a story, but kind of like my perspective of what happened after my first miscarriage. And I was rereading it today just because I was like, I wonder what it sounded like. And it brought back all these like little tiny things where it's like, why do I feel so uncomfortable lying on flat beds? Well, like the medical office beds. And it's like, and there's this like one memory I have um, of like when I found out that I had lost my first child and like I was on one of those like really, really flat, no cushions, no nothing medical examination tables. And so every time I lie down on them, I have this like little jolt before I fully lie down because I can't get comfortable. And I was like, why is that? And then I read this today and I was like, holy moly, like, I can't believe that that's something that's still lingering with me almost three, almost five years later. It's crazy the things that you don't even realize. Yeah. It's, you know, the trauma and the grief has seeped into your life. How do you find you pull yourself back up? <laughs> That's a really good question, actually. I, at first, I felt like I was floating at sea. Um, there was this really good analogy when my father-in-law passed away about grief. And it was that you're, you're all, you're after a ship has crashed, you're kind of like holding on to your little raft or your little piece of wood floating in the ocean. And the waves come really fast and really hard at first. And it doesn't feel like you can keep your head above water. And that's what it felt like for the first little while. It felt like I was not able to breathe. And every other second I was scrambling to just try to like get day to day. And then eventually the waves come farther and farther apart and you're able to breathe and you're able to stabilize a little bit more. And while you're still floating at sea in the sea of grief, um, you're able to find moments of like happiness or you're able to find moments of joy and sooner than later, those become more frequent. And so I think when it first started, it was, it was due in a large part to my family and friends who would take me to the CN Tower in Toronto because it's my favorite thing, or they would take me to the aquarium, or they would just sit on the couch and watch really bad Grey's Anatomy with me, um, or which is in itself probably something I shouldn't have been watching, but it was a comfort show, so we just took it as it is. Um, so at first, it was finding 
it was finding those calm moments with people that I trusted. And then it was starting to trust myself to just move through the grief. That was what kept me going. Oh, that's a good point. Like really trusting yourself. Like I can get through this one day at a time, one hour at a time. And that's exactly what it was. It was one moment, one day, one, whatever the moments that you had to count, however it helped. That's how I got through the, the, a lot of it. And then it was, it was no longer like getting through the minutes when I was having a bad moment, it was getting through the hours and then it was getting through the days. And then it was getting to the end of the week. And then it was getting to the next thing that I was looking forward to. And so that kind of gave me the motivation to keep going. Um, but it's definitely not an easy track to make. No, And I just commend you for speaking about it with such kindness and gentility in your heart. I can, you know, I can tell in my conversations with people when there's a lot of pain at the forefront and I can tell that you've done a lot of healing. Yeah, I, I spent, a, so I went to, I went to therapy to start with. Cause I think therapy is, I think everyone should go to therapy is my TLDR on that point. Um, <laughs> but I went to therapy and then I went to group therapy and then I found, um, there was a pregnancy loss group in my area that I went to. And so I'd start going to like for Christmas. And then in June, they had these get togethers where you could like make, um, ornaments for your children and you could like write their names on puzzle pieces that fit together. And that was one of the, the ones that made me feel more complete was these puzzle pieces. And so, um, I'm also a pretty spiritual person. So, um, I did a lot of just like practices and meditation. Um, and, and, and honestly it was finding what worked for me. I, whenever I talk to other people about their journey, I never want to impose upon like what worked for me will work for you, but rather it was, figuring out what worked. And then when the second miscarriage happened, it was okay. What worked the last time? And then the third miscarriage was okay. What worked the last time? And then kind of like repeating the steps. And it was almost, it was almost like walking down a familiar path with the third miscarriage, because I understood myself better. I understood the grieving process a lot more and I understood my capacity for grief and for love. And I think that that was really important to move forward with. Yes, I love that. I I think that's one of the reasons why I share my journey is, you know, for for the people that maybe don't have another experience to draw from. Yeah. And I remember my very first loss, just not even understanding, <laughs> literally not even being able to comprehend what was happening in my body and feeling like I couldn't talk to anyone about it for years because I I didn't know what to say about it and sometimes that's all you need to say is I don't I don't like how I feel but I don't know how to put words to it yeah I would completely agree I think I felt alone for a long time because I I also didn't know what to say and I didn't know how to effectively communicate what it was that I needed and I think and this is no fault to anybody but I think there's this default setting with people when you say you've had a loss it's, oh, like, I, I, I know you've seen the memes and I know anyone who's listening has also seen them, but it's like, oh, but you can get pregnant or, oh, but like, at least you weren't that far along. And I just like, remember wanting to scream because it was like, that's not helpful, but I also don't know what it is that would be helpful. Mm-hmm. And so the early losses were really challenging to communicate. Like, how do I tell people like, 
you know, people struggle already with how, when do I tell people that I'm pregnant? Well, on top of that, if you don't tell people you're telling people you were pregnant and you miscarried or you had a stillbirth or whatever it is in the same sentence sometimes, and that, and we're not really taught how to support people in those moments. It's, it's very challenging for people to navigate how to, not how to deal with you, but how to effectively support you in that moment. And I, when I'm going through grief, don't have the tools to advise my loved ones on what I need either. No. Like, I, I don't know what I need, but it's not that. <laughs> it's, it's not that I can tell. I promise you it's not that anything but that, but yeah, it's a hundred percent that it's how do you carry your grief at the same time that you're also trying to help other people navigate. And it's almost like being expected to be the teacher and the student at the same time. Yeah. And that is not something we really ask of people in general. And, but for some reason, when it comes to losses, we have that assumption placed on people. Yes. And I think it, I think the change can happen in between the grief in small conversations in, you know, opening up about what it's like to try to conceive and to want a baby and not just in the, Oh yeah, we want to, we want a kid. And that's the end of the conversation kind of way. Like really telling people like, no, like I want to experience pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I get part of my journey. That, and that's something that I really admire with you is the fact that that's a really hard conversation to have because I've had that conversation where it's like, well, why don't you just adopt? Or why don't you just have, like, why don't you have surrogacy or all these things? And it's like, well, some of those things are very, very expensive. (laughs) Don't know if you've looked into them. Um, But it's also like, I want to experience being pregnant. I want to have a pregnant belly. I want to go through the aches and pains. I want to have the nausea. I want to give birth as traumatic as I'm sure it will be. Um, But I want all those moments that connect me with my baby. And that's not like, that's, it almost feels hurtful sometimes that people you know, can't appreciate that they had got to have those moments, but then they want me to give up those moments. Mm-hmm. And I know since I've started being honest with people in my life in these conversations, it has changed how our future conversations have gone. Like when I do speak up and say, you know, that that's actually not necessarily true. I know one thing that I get a lot is, oh, it, it will happen. It will happen. Just mm. hang in sing in there yeah like well you don't know that you don't know that it will happen so I know that you're trying to be helpful in saying that but you know we'll keep trying and I'll keep positive but (laughs) I'm not going to say it will happen because I don't necessarily know that in this moment yeah yeah I I think there's this like pot like not fake positivity but there's this this type of like oh well it will happen or oh like you just have to like I don't know cross your toes and click your heels or whatever it is and and suddenly it will happen and it just it doesn't happen like that and not to circle back to the conversation of grief but like there's a modicum of of grieving over the process that you have to go through to have a kid and like this is my first medicated cycle where I'm doing electrozole and I'm doing a trigger shots and I'm taking progesterone and I'm going through what feels like very, something very similar to what you talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. And when we got the phone call that we were going to start the cycle and I had got my period. So it was day one, I was very, very sad. And I couldn't really explain to people 
because I, I didn't know how to like, not be rude about it, but it's like, they were so excited, right? Like it was like, oh my gosh, like it, it, your first cycle, this is exciting. Like, you know, it could happen and it could happen, but this isn't exactly the way that I saw it happening. And there, you, you almost grieve the simplicity that other people have with their pregnancies and how, how simple it can be for them. And then instead I'm having medicated doses and a team of doctors and all of these things to go along and it's not IVF and it's not IUI yet, but it's, there's, it's very medical. And that's not the way that I thought this was going to pan out. And that process, it almost feels like it steals some of the magic away. And it just, <laughs> yeah, it, it feels so unfair. Like I even feel jealous of me at the beginning of my TTC journey before I was tracking ovulation and just that blissful ignorance of, yeah. Ooh, am I pregnant? Like at every moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it steals the magic away. And like, you know, I don't know how graphic we can get here, but it's like even the things like when you go in and they say, okay, like you're going to take the trigger shot, then you're going to have timed intercourse and you're going to have timed intercourse two days later. And that's the procedure that my clinic does. Um, and it's like it's, the language around it is even just like very <laughs> clinical, right? Like it's like, oh, go have timed intercourse. Like it's something I go check off my list of things to do. Like it, it, it removes the magical fun part of it. And instead it's very clinical, very medical, very, um, sterile almost. Um, and that's, and it steals, it steals away the, the joy and the magic that comes along with like, you know, creating a life together. There's, there's definitely magic in creating a life through IUI, through IVF and those medical settings too. But when it's not what you wanted yeah, and it's not what you envisioned, you do have to grieve that process first before you can find that appreciation yeah gratitude like those two things can coexist you can be grateful for the opportunity to have the support of reproductive help but also resent the fact that you need it in the first place and that was something that I saw you talking about I think it was yesterday or the day before which was like you're like I am very lucky and I'm very grateful And I'm very privileged to have a team of doctors and to have a hematologist and to have an allergist and an immunologist and to have a fertility doctor and a naturopath and all these doctors who are on my side. I'm very privileged to be able to go through the cycle monitoring with my clinic. Like some people wait years to get in. Some people don't have access. And for me, it's just a 20 minute drive away. And so there is this, this huge part that I have to remind myself that I am, I am privileged to be in this position and also grateful to be here and have the support. Yeah. And it's hard when you're feeling all of those things all at once, you know, it's yeah. cycle day one <laughs> yeah. and you're trying to be loved and be grateful, but then you're also yeah. grieving last cycle. And yeah, I always say on my Instagram, like my posts are going to go back and forth drastically from topic to topic because that's what my life is. Yeah. In one second, I'm thinking I'm pregnant and I'm excited and hopeful. And 30 seconds later, I'm at work and I can't think about it at all. Yeah. And then I get a notification and it's, you know, a negative result or whatever. And then I turn around and I've got to go to a family dinner. And that's the reality. It's really hard. And I, I think that I, the first miscarriage that I had, I, I've been working in the same industry for all of my miscarriages. And so the first one. I felt so disconnected and so unsupported in my workplace. Um, very, very, very not supported. I, I won't go into too detail, but not supported is the, is the gist of it. 
And then the second one was a little bit better. And then the third one, my boss was very supportive. And even through the trial, like the, the cycle monitoring, this is our first time uh, for me being on letrozole and me being on the hormones that come with it. And I have been a mess. I cried today for no reason. Like literally just, I was overwhelmed and just cried, um, which is not something I do. But I like told my boss and I was like, I'm just having a day where I emotionally am just all over the place. And she's like, if you need to take the day, take the day. Like your work will be here tomorrow. Like we understand where you're coming from. Like this is not an easy journey to be on. And I was like, how lucky am I to be in a workplace where it's supported not only like to be pregnant, but also in the, like they understand the process of getting pregnant as well. That makes all the difference it does to have the people around you even if they don't understand but offer their support in ways that are helpful because that's what people need is they need time off they need, <laughs> yeah. they need time and space I remember yeah. the last time I went through a loss I tried to tough it out and go to work and I stood up from my desk, turned around, knocked on my boss's door and just said, I'm losing a pregnancy. I can't be here. And she was like, go, just go. Like we will take yep. care of everything. And I've just felt so lucky that I didn't have to worry about losing my job and having to support my yeah. family or, you know, cause that's a very real fear for a lot of people. Sometimes it is really can't take that time. No, I worked through my third one. I, I'm a workaholic. And so I was like, I need more, more than I need time off for the first couple of days, because I didn't want, I didn't want to settle. Like I didn't want to sit with it for too long because I was going through the active process of it. And so I just needed that distraction of not sitting through the pain, which I, I don't think any of us do, but I particularly don't sit through pain very well. Um, but my boss was like, take the time afterwards. Like after you've gone through it, just take the time that you need. And especially right now, I think what's really important for me is that I don't have to explain it. Like ever. So for those of you who, uh, who are listening, who haven't been through a cycle monitoring, um, uh, my clinic does it where you go in for your ultrasound blood test um, on the days that you're taking letrozole. And then you don't find out your next appointment until you've had that appointment. So like today I had an appointment and I found out afterwards a couple hours when my next appointment was. So my next appointment is Thursday. And then I don't find out when my next appointment is until after the Thursday appointment. And my boss has been just I, I have no words. Cause she's like, if you, if you go to that appointment Thursday and you just can't like, you can't function, just let me know. And like, you don't have to do your meetings for the day. Just do your work on the side, sit on the couch with a heat blanket, like just chill. Um, and I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, how did I like, <laughs> like, how did I get <laughs> there are, and it's just like, it, it makes me feel like there are people who understand and I don't have to like find the words and I don't have to be diplomatic with her. Like I can just say, like I told her I was grieving about the fact that I had to go through this whole process. Right. And she was like, absolutely. Like I am here for you to vent to, if you need to. And I was like, well, I don't need to right now, but maybe later. <laughs> so like hold that thought. Uh, but right now I just, yeah, but right now I just need to tell you that I'm feeling frustrated. But yeah, there are angels on earth and you know, having that support system is is truly what makes the difference between as we talked about at the beginning, being able to like 
get through each day, get through each hour is having that support system, whether it's your boss or your partner or your family or your friends, um, whatever family or friends looks like to you, it's, it's about having them in your corner. Mm -hmm. And even something as simple as just saying to the people around you, like, Hey, I'm going through some medical treatment that affects my hormones and I might not feel myself. Like you don't have to get into the details of, you know, conception no. and all that. No. Even, even just mentioning that, you know, I might not be myself to the people yeah. that you work with. Or spend yeah. <laughs> yeah. It can make a big difference. It does. And it's, I just laugh because like I, I had to have that conversation and I, and this is the first time I had to have that conversation. And I was just very blunt with everyone. I was like, I'm on a shit ton of hormone drugs. It's not going to be easy walk in the park. I'm probably going to be all over the place. Uh, and uh, my mother-in-law was like, yeah, that's totally understandable. Like it's a lot of drugs, it's hormones. And then today <laughs> I was literally sitting at the table and we just got back from the gym and I just like burst out crying, just like tears everywhere a snotty mess and my mother-in-law was like oh dear and my husband was like oh and like comes over and like rubs my back and he and my mother-in-law is like what happened and he's just like it's just the hormones like rubbing my back just like it's it's nothing no one did anything it's just like you just don't have control over like how you're feeling in that moment and even just admitting that to yourself and giving yourself some grace yeah. And it's hard when you don't feel like yourself. And, no. you know, doing letrozole might be different than IVF in many, many ways. But the mental experience of having to go to those appointments and having everything riding on things out of your control, like, yeah, you don't control how your body responds to the medication. No. There's no guarantees with anything. No. And just facing that is a journey in and of itself. It's hard. I am quite the control freak. I will say that just very clearly. Um, it is, it's hard not to be. And this is one of those things where I just don't have the control and it's very, very challenging to, to sit with it because it's like, <laughs> I'm very lucky. I get to go to Paris, France, um, for work, but I am going at this like near the end of like when I'm supposed to have this timed intercourse after the trigger shot. And I'm like, body just work. I'm like, I need you to do the thing so that I can do the trigger shot and that I'm not going to be in Paris because my husband's not coming because it's for a work trip. So like, I'm like in my mind, I'm like, why can't I just control this? And it's like, but I can't. And that like, that you have to just let go. Like you have to just be okay with it. You have to just like, let the cards fall where they will. Um, but it's hard. It, it's very hard. I, I don't know how I do it some days. Some days are easier than others, but it's, it's truly just letting yourself experience the journey and remember that the journey is part of the process and to try to enjoy as much as, as you can. Cause even in the cycles where you're not pregnant, you're trying, right? Like you're trying to build that life. And that's part of the story is the building of the life, um, not just the actual life part, um, but the journey that it takes you to get there. Yes. And becoming parents and yes. developing your style and bouncing ideas off of each other and dreaming and even just seeing, you know, like what do your wildest dreams look like? That says a lot about a partner. It does. And I think that that was, that's been one of the more rewarding parts of the process um, over the past like five years is just like 
what does parenthood look like? What does it look like with my partner? And like, what, what, what are our rules? What are our boundaries? What are the things that we're like, not okay with? What are the things that we are okay with? And like, I daydream, like, I'm like, I like this, uh, this stroller. My, my husband will be like, oh, it's a nice one. I'm like, and this color nursery and these things. And like, you know, it's just hard not to like, be excited about it because that's what you're, that's what you're working towards. And that's what you're, you're wanting for the future and, and you're manifesting it. And I'm a firm believer in, in manifesting and, and really sitting down and making your words and thoughts into action and making them become a reality. And I think that there's a lot of power in that. Definitely. I am, um, I guess I misspoke earlier when I said that I, you know, I don't say it will happen <laughs> because I, you know, I do manifest, but I, I like to get more specific with my manifestations, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It, which is totally fine. Like I, I, I totally know where you're coming from and it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's one thing when someone says it to you, but it's also one thing when you say it yourself, right? Because you're putting your intentions and your words into and in, in trying to make them a reality, right? Versus someone when they're telling you that they're like, oh yeah, it will most definitely happen. Like there's a big difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like you and your partner have grown closer through this? Oh yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> not to be one of those people, but, uh, we've actually been together since I was 16. So I'm 32 now. So we're high school sweethearts and it's been, uh, a long time, um, blissfully together. Um, but the, the losses and the journey at this point have really taught us to communicate better. They've taught us to appreciate the simple things. Um, it taught us for, so we had a rough time for the first two miscarriages. I went into what I would actually probably say was probably postpartum, um, but a very, very bad depression right after the miscarriage. Um, and it really, it really didn't hurt the relationship, but it, it, it caused us to have to realign again and learn how to communicate um, effectively and learn how to understand how to talk about emotions. Cause as long as we've been together, we hadn't really gotten to that point. And so it was interesting because he doesn't process things visually. Like he's not much of like a, a visual emotional person, if that makes sense. So like his, his feelings aren't on his face or like through a lot of his body language. And so with the losses, I used to get really mad because I'd be like, you don't care. Like this doesn't mean anything to you. And, and that was me being angry because I was very sad um, and very upset. But the truth was he was as upset and as heartbroken as I was. And he just expressed himself in a different way. So he, he would write blog posts about on the anniversary of our um, due dates, he would write these beautiful um, stories or these beautiful statements about like how he was feeling and like what it means to be a dad who doesn't have a kid on this planet or this plane, I should say. Um, And what it means to like, you know, be a dad, but for many people not be considered a dad. And that was something that really opened my eyes and really, really took me back because it wasn't until he kind of expressed himself through writing that I understood, that I saw and understood what it means for a man to go through those losses, right? Like, what does it mean for a dad to lose a child versus what it's like for a mom to lose a child? And that was really eye-opening and that really grew us closer together. Yes, that is a really excellent point we 
you know, there's a lot of focus on the sharers, <laughs> people yeah. that are telling the stories, but there's other people involved in those stories too, that are going through a different type of pain for me sharing yeah. and connecting is my way of healing yeah for my partner it's the opposite yes that is the exact same on the side too so like for me I'd rather talk about it and I'd rather express myself and I'd rather whether it's through I I write myself or whether it's just through conversation or whether it's going to group therapy whatever it is I need to talk about it and for him it was he needs to write about it or he needs to process it in a much different way um and it it's really a shame that we don't consider the difference in how people grieve. We assume everyone has to do it the same way. And and I did too. So like, I am totally at fault here. Um, But it, it, it's a shame that we don't take more time to, to try to include those people who don't, and I don't mean bring them in the circle, make them talk, but include just in the larger conversation of grief looks different for everybody. And it doesn't always look like having a conversation about it. Exactly. Exactly. And your journey with grief can look different at different stages too. I didn't talk about my first loss for years. I just couldn't. And once my heart was cracked open and I, it felt good to share about it. I couldn't stop. Yeah. But that's not everyone's experience. And I might reach a point where I don't want to share anymore and that's okay. And if anyone's going on a journey of grief and you realize, you know what, it's become too much to tell people about this, you can change your mind at any point. And just because you had a loss a long time ago and you've never talked about it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It still matters. And that was a really hard thing for a lot of people in my life, especially older generation. Cause when I had my miscarriage, my mom told, so I, I was going through a mis- miscarriage for my first one, as I talked about, and I had to take misoprosol, um, which for those who are listening is, uh, induces labor essentially. Um, so that you can, um, so you can pass the baby. Um, and, I was miserable with it. And she came to visit one day and um, she very quietly hushed in the hushed voice told me that she had had a miscarriage. And I was like, I, I, I don't think I've like jaw on floor because like I was 28 years old. I had never heard about it. She's like, we just didn't talk about it. Like there was no support groups. There was no people to, to listen. It was, it was very pushed under the rug. It was very like, not a thing that we talked about. And then suddenly more and more family members started telling me that they, they also had miscarriages or a miscarriage. And I was suddenly surrounded by women who I was like the, the analogy that I was told was um, it's, you're suddenly part of a club that you didn't know existed and you don't want to be a part of is, is what it's like to have a pregnancy loss, right? Like suddenly you're, you're initiated into the club, but two seconds ago, you didn't know the club existed and now you don't want to be a part of it. Um, and it was like, suddenly I was part of this club and there was all of these women in my life that had had miscarriages and stillbirths. And I was like, holy moly, like I had no idea. And it's because for a lot of them, they grew up with either shame or we just didn't talk about it, or they just didn't know how to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's part of the reason why I think these conversations are so important is because, for those people who are listening, who feel like that they 
don't have the ability to talk about it, they can literally just take this episode or another one of your episodes and, and send it to a friend and be like, hey, I, I really need you to listen to this. And that would be enough to communicate to somebody that they've gone through a loss. They don't need to use the words anymore. You've given them the tool to, to talk about it in a very roundabout way or tell someone in a very roundabout way that this has happened to them without them actually even having to say the words. I really love how like social media can bring people together in a very simple way. Like just sharing something to your story, Yeah, you know, tell people that it resonates with you for whatever reason. And I know I've had moments of pause where I stop and think, wow, like maybe this person I had all these thoughts about, maybe they do know more about what I'm going through than I thought. Yeah. That definitely happened when I, so I shared my, uh, I did not share my third miscarriage, but I shared my first two. And I remember the outpouring of support that I had and people who came forward and said, yeah, I also had a miscarriage. But I also on the flip side had people approach me afterwards, like years later being like, I just had a miscarriage. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know resources. I don't know how to talk about it. I don't know like what I like, I'm actively going through miscarriage, like what's going to happen. And I, and they're like, if I hadn't read your posts, I wouldn't have known, like I could reach out to you. And now I at least have somebody. And the number of people that I got basically saying that exact thing was eye-opening because suddenly I, it wasn't just, you know, starting the conversation. It was being that beacon of hope for somebody. And it was as simple as posting about my losses or posting about October or posting, or even just once in a while when I'm feeling sad, I'll post something about grief because I I'm just effectively communicating as best I can that I'm going through that right now. Um, and that is a really good way to indicate to people how you're feeling. Sometimes you don't even realize how much you just need to hear the words like it's okay or you are strong or oh what's been hitting me lately is you are worthy that gets me right in the heart when people say that it's like it just fills me right up the you are worthy is it it brings me a lot of joy to hear that um I used to hate and this is like when, when you first asked me the question about like, how did I get through each day? Like what gave me the strength to keep going? It, it, the part that I didn't talk about was I've been through a lot of trauma outside of the losses in my life, um, which I won't go into, but a lot of, a lot of trauma. And I never knew how I just kept going forward. Like I never knew how I put one foot in front of the other until I had the losses. And then I kind of figured it out a little bit more, but I used to hate the terminology. You're so strong. Cause I used to go, yeah, well, there's nothing else I can do. And it wasn't until some, I think it was my husband sat down and goes, I think, I think you're misinterpreting this. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I think, I think you're not listening to people because when someone says that you're strong or you're strong enough to get through this, they're not diminishing anything. They're actually saying that like you have the ability to get through it because you are a strong person. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, what other choices do I have? Like beyond move through this, get through this one foot in front of the other, whatever terminology. And he goes, like, you don't have to, you could literally just give up. Like you could, you could just stop. You could stop doing what you're doing. You could sleep in bed all day, every day. Like you could, there's so many things that you could do that isn't what you're doing. And that's why people say you're so strong or you are strong or you're strong enough to get through this. 
And it wasn't until he told me that, that I was like, oh no, I've been a little bit of an aggressive person for a long amount of time when I've been misinterpreting what people were saying. Uh, and it was like that light bulb moment. So I think, I think recently um, you're strong enough to get through this or you're strong has been really helping me. That, and it just goes to show like, you never know just how many people you're touching when you share. Yeah. Like, you just, you never know who's going to randomly come across that and just needed to see those words today. Yeah. And so I, I really encourage people to just put kindness out there if you can. And, you know, it's okay to be a grouch sometimes and it's okay to feel sorry for yourself, but every once in a while, just throw out some kindness because somebody needs to hear that from you. I could not agree more. I think that there are too many instances where it's easier to do nothing or say nothing or just exist. And it takes courage and it takes strength to be able to like put that kindness out there. But I'm a firm believer in karma. Uh, I'm a firm believer in what you put out there. Maybe it's not called karma for some people, but whatever you put out uh, in the universe, it comes back to you. Um, And it also, it also just brightens somebody's day. Like there's nothing... I think that that lights up a room more than when you like give someone that compliment or you help make their day a little bit brighter when they were having a truly awful day and they smile or they just like, they have that glow come back. Like, I don't think that there's anything more beautiful than those moments. Yeah, you're totally right. Well, I think that is a perfect place to end. I appreciate you being here so much. Before we go, um, is there anything else that you want to put out there into the universe for our listeners? Oh, that's such a good question. I think be gentle with yourself. I think wherever you are on your journey um, to motherhood, I think that um, just remember to treat yourself and others with compassion and empathy. Um, and just remember you're not alone. There's a community of individuals uh, who, I mean, whether it's your community or other communities, there are lots of people who are there to support you in whatever way that looks like for you and to not, to just not give up. Very well said. I appreciate you. you so much. Thank you so much oh, for being here. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I hope you have a great rest of your night. You too. Oh, I feel this Christmas.